We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. Episode number 33 of Lion Legacy and Ross, I am feeling energized after spending the weekend at Penn State. Great time. Unfortunate loss to Michigan. Michigan. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough, mm. right? It was, yeah. it was one of the one of those games where you're like, we we they didn't get a first down the 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 first quarter. Yeah. And yeah, we, we all know how that ended up but you know but you were back in state college right back first in time college. in what when was the last time you were there before in the before times as they in say the bef- in the before times yes yeah. that's true i think it was 2018 john's when was john's wedding 2018 right yes yeah 2018 against michigan state right unfortunately we also lost that game so yeah. maybe i shouldn't be going to any penn state home <laughs> games maybe i should just go to penn state away games yeah we seem to, to do better. better when I show up there. But but, but how uh, was it to be back? It was great. It was, uh, you know, I went up with my sister, brother-in-law, my two nieces. So my older niece, Lexi, she is not a Penn State fan. She's a University of Texas fan. Mm-hmm. So she had on her UT hat the whole time, which I'm okay with because I went to UT for grad school, as you know. And my younger niece, Tessa, is a huge Penn State fan, wants to go there. And why do you think she wants to go to Penn State? I know the answer, but I'm not going to say it. But I would so tell everybody why. So most people would think her dad went to Penn State and her uncle went to Penn State, yep, right? Yep, and, yep. and Penn State's in her family. Yep. Supposedly, there's this freshman named... It's, oh, it, hold, on, hold on. It's not supposedly. This, it's actually, it's, this is reality. You're right. Reality. Yep. There's a freshman by the name of Katie Feeney. Yes. Who has, I think, 7 million TikTok followers, right? When we were there, it was like, who's the, the most popular person on campus, right? It's usually the quarterback, the running back. No. Nowadays, it's Katie Feeney. It's the TikTokers. TikTokers. And my niece is on TikTok, follows Katie Feeney. And because Katie Feeney's a Penn Stater and obsessed with Penn State TikTok videos. Tessa is wanting to go to Penn State. So the power of TikTok, huh? I guess that's how it starts these days, right? She's got this idea. How old is she now? She's 10 years old. Okay, so 10 years old. And this is her first intro to Penn State. But look, I mean, one. But it's not. She like she's been a Penn State. No, before. No, I, no, I mean, like her connection. She feels this now. Oh, yes. this TikToker. But look, that's fine. If she continues to stay close to it. And then when she's like in high school and then she, you know, her mindset shifts and she's, oh, I've always enjoyed Penn State. But now then she kind of pivots, if you will, to the, oh, let me look at it as a school and all these other opportunities. And that's fine. I look at it, it all starts out and, and gets root cause from a TikToker when she's 10 years old and all the power to her. Yeah, it's smart by Penn State, right? I think they're yeah. they're giving her her as in Katie Feeney uh, a lot of free reign to really showcase the lifestyle, the campus, the athletics, and yeah. 
she yeah. does a great job with these videos. I follow her on Instagram now, and I'm yeah. like, oh, this is cool. But uh, yeah, Tessa was great. Maybe we should get, maybe we should get her on the show. Maybe, maybe Katie Feely would want to talk to us. And then, yeah, and then we'll be featured in, in maybe one of those uh, those videos. Next thing you there know, you we have 7 million people listening to our podcast. Well, right? well you pump the brakes. We have to learn to dance. <laughs> we got to do one of those TikTok dances first or something. Though. We do. But uh, yeah, I mean, Tessa, you know, geared up. She went into to Lions Pride. She bought the fuzzy Penn State socks and the hat and was looking really cute. And it's just nice to see you know, my nieces uh, and especially Tessa take a real liking to, to Penn State. And I feel like I've got the best world, best of both worlds with Lexi at, at UT. But it's great. It's always great being back. Ross, you just get a great feeling. You think about the memories of being there and the friendships form there and just the overall kind of getting right back into, into the, I would say, the the family and the community. Mm-hmm. New hotel, actually, on the corner of Beaver and Pew, yeah. uh, called The Scholar. It's associated with Hilton. Huh. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe, uh, I think it was a little bit of a hidden gem. Probably not so much now because ah. we were able to, to get a hotel room there uh, a couple months ago that we booked and probably not going to be like that for future seasons, but... It was uh, it was great. I guess the only thing was it was very cold, but it's to be expected for a, a football game in in November. That's right. Well, I'm glad you had fun. Uh, I hope I too hope to get back up there at some point. Yeah, you got to bring your kids, man. Yeah, no, I brought the kids when they were little. They probably don't remember it now, but yeah, I'd like to. We got to get them back up there. It's it's on the list. There you go. Yeah. And how are things with you? You have any big plans for Thanksgiving? Now we're hosting Thanksgiving with the family. It's a collective effort you know, everybody chips in with it with all the food i'm i don't cook much but i, I started a tradition my own tradition the last couple of years where i will bake a pie oh. so i am going to i'm going to make a pie what pie it's down to either uh cherry or blueberry so i will report back to our loyal listeners as to what i decided on our next episode but yeah it's either cherry or blueberry pie cherry or blueberry Interesting. yeah 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 I, look, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but they came out pretty good the last couple of years. So, I'm a big yeah. apple pie guy. So. I, I, I've done apple before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you really want to change it up, I guess. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so we're looking forward to certainly having everybody together in Thanksgiving. Remember last year? I mean, a year ago seems like a long time, but Thanksgiving was we were by ourselves last year. I, mean, I was, was re- yeah, yeah. Everybody was. I was by myself. It was just me and my wife and the two kids. It was just odd. I don't even think we had turkey, but anyway, nice to bring everybody together. And speaking of bringing everybody together, our guest this week is somebody that for her line of work brings people together. We spoke with Michal Neistetter. She's a professional matchmaker in Philadelphia. And so she walks us through. It's pretty wild. It was a very fun conversation. We picked on Jared a little bit and she told us about how her background, how she got into this line of work what she's looking for. She gives us some dating advice for those single listeners out there and how the whole thing works. It's pretty fascinating. We hope you have as much fun with this episode as we did. Let's get together for our conversation with Michal. All right. Let's welcome Michal Neistetter, 2006 Penn State graduate with a degree in Jewish studies Michal then went on to get her master's degree in human sexuality from Widener University and is now a senior matchmaker at Three Day Rule Matchmaking. She's also the founder of Sex Positive Mama, 
So much to learn in this episode, right, Ross? And to be honest, all I could think about is Bette Midler singing Matchmaker, Matchmaker, Make Me a Match from Fiddler on the Roof. I won't go any further because my voice is not very strong, but Michal, I bet no one has ever said that to you before. And I love when they do. (laughs) (laughs) Michal, thanks for coming on with us. Where to begin? We're all familiar with the matchmaking concept, but I personally have never met a professional matchmaker. So first, tell us, what does your job entail? Yeah, we're real. And for the most part, we are extremely extroverted and hardworking people. I happen to be Jewish, but matchmaking isn't limited to Jewish communities or Indian communities. That's where it often has occurred. It's a modern day thing, right? Where people are professionally setting people up. And I like to say that a good matchmaker has a good network. And my job is to schmooze, to know a lot of people, to build relationships, because I'm going on dates on behalf of my clients. So that's what I do. And singles everywhere tend to have a whole list of things that they are looking for. And it's like do or die thing. And my job is to meet with everybody, get to know them and listen to their list. And help craft it a little bit if I hear that things are might not be working in their favor and know the difference between wants and needs. Obviously, I work more intimately with my clients on that too. But when I match people, it's because I listen to everybody's list, essentially. And it's interesting, right? Because I mentioned in the beginning, you've got a, uh, you work for a company three day rule. And, and when I first heard it, I thought it was three date rule but it's day, you know, and I'd love Mm -hmm. to, to dig in a little bit on what's the meaning behind the name there. And then what's the benefit from your perspective of working for a company as opposed to you being a professional matchmaker on your own? Thanks for asking. I actually love the name of our company and it's tongue in cheek. So there's this like old dating rule And it's a reference to the movie Swingers. And it said that you should wait three full days um, before contacting a potential suitor. And it's not a rule that we recommend at all, but it's such a good conversation starter. And so we are like a team of awesome people all across the country who work together and collaborate and build this network of singles and support them through the dating process. And the reason why I love working for my company is because it's a team. Like I... I do think it's really hard to match make alone because you need such a big network. I am supported by all these amazing women. Matchmaking is not for the faint of heart. So we really lift each other up, prop each other up. And the the big thing about matchmaking is we get so many referrals from other people, from other clients, people who hear about us in any which way. And we all work in the business of love together and we help people and then like referrals build referrals and build referrals. So like, it's amazing. And then we can help people all across the country. Have you ever come across like a male matchmaker? I've never heard actually male matchmaking, but maybe it exists. There's definitely coaches, but at this time, like, I just think that they don't often apply for the job, but if there's a guy who wants to be a matchmaker, like, Run zip recruiter. Why not try? <laughs> Give it a shot. It just, it tends to be women for some reason. It's like that, the movie Hitch, I always think about, right? Wasn't yeah. he like a kind of a male matchmaker? But I also feel, and yeah, I like, I am Hitch. I guess I'm like a modern day Hitch. Um, but <laughs> I do feel like what he did in the movie was really coaching a coachable guy. He wasn't really making the match. He was supporting him and lifting him up, teaching him how to dance, things like that. 
I should watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get a lot of people that say, eh, no thanks. I'm good. Plenty of apps out there. I can do this on my own. I can find a date. What's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, apps are great. You could find a lot of dates, but there's also the issues that come with online dating, like the paradox of choice. So I, I think for a lot of people, that's how they find love. That's how they find their match. And I even recommend to my clients that they can be online dating at the same time that they're working with me. But you have to be a smart online dater. So like our president, Talia, always talks about how people most likely swipe past their soulmate. And I think that's really true because when you are swiping, you're not really seeing a full picture of somebody. Want to touch on this. We've got a great partnership with the Daily Collegian, which you probably remember from being at Penn State. And every episode we have students submit questions. This week, Rosie Colville, a senior studying psychology, no surprise what she wants to know. Give us your favorite matchmaking story. And I know you have a few. Yeah, this is a hard question for me to answer, but I'm, I don't, oh, I love all of the people. Give us, you can give us a few. Yeah. Why don't we start with one of my favorite, more, a more recent success story was a girl that I met years ago through her friend. And then when the pandemic hit, she hired me and I met this guy who was basically like a friend of a friend that I had also met. And he was like in the military. So he had moved out around a lot and he was like already 41, 42, but like really a good guy. Like I could tell, and I had only met him on zoom. I didn't meet him in person because before this I was meeting everybody for a cup of coffee. Like I'm, I met over a thousand singles in Philadelphia and sat down with them for a cup of coffee, which is how I met you, Jared. If you remember that special day. I remember we <laughs> met, like... we, we met at the pop shop or little pop shop. Oh, that was one of my favorite spots. Yeah, they don't exist anymore, but we met at a popsicle like shop that also was like a coffee shop. So I've gone on like tons of dates with people, but him I met on Zoom, but like I could tell right away he was such a good guy, such a solid dude, but was still single, not because anything was wrong with him, but he had moved around a lot and he like flies helicopters for the Coast Guard and stuff. And I set them up and and she was like, sure, go for it. And I was like, Dude flies helicopters. He's a great guy. And they ended up kissing on their first date. And it was like, it was really early in COVID. And the next day she felt really sick. And so both of them had to quarantine. And it was like, oh my God, God. it was like such a scary time. Anyways, fast forward. And he had to like not work for two weeks. How it was. Anyways, turned out it was like a stomach bug. And it wasn't COVID at all. But that's how they started their relationship by having to quarantine. Not with each other because it was just a first date. Anyways, they ended up really liking each other, hanging out a lot. And COVID relationships like really flew by quickly because you would like all right, let's sit on the couch and eat Chinese food tonight. People didn't do the normal courting, but they got really serious really quick. And it's like their relationship right now. And they put an offer on a house and they're moving in together. And Wow. It's so cool. And I'm just waiting to get my free helicopter ride is is all I, I, that and people (laughs) want at the wedding. You've had a number of weddings though, right? That you've, that have gone to like the distance. Yeah. The next wedding that I have is coming up in June. And I'm really excited about that one too. Yeah, I've gone to weddings and I went to one last weekend. I'm going to one. In, I just, I love weddings. I love people. So how amazing <laughs> oh, is that of a feeling? Way. Like, I'm just okay. curious, like we all have jobs and the j- jobs are great, but like you are truly 
impacting people's lives at a completely different level. Yeah, it's a great feeling to know that people spent this pandemic not alone because of me. To know that people dreamed of making a family and have a family now. Okay, like I was a part of it. I just needed to make the good intro and I coach people as well, but it's so cool. It just really, it's very deeply fulfilling for me. And I, I don't only match people for love, like I've matched people to become friends. I've matched people with, they need a consultant for X, Y, and Z, like business things. It's just like a joy that I get from connecting the right person with the right person at the right time. Do you feel like it's a, it's like a talent that you have? Could someone learn to be a matchmaker? Or do you feel like you just really sense people's personalities and like how things go together or how people go together. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I think make a good matchmaker, but I think that what you're asking about is this like gut feeling and intuition thing that you can't really, you can't really teach it. And I didn't ever set anybody up before I had this job. And then I started doing it and I was like, Ooh, I have the thing. (laughs) I feel like the going back to the weddings for a second, I feel like that pays dividends also because then you go to the weddings and then that's like an extra networking session because now you're meeting whoever happens to be single at the wedding and it just keeps it just snowballs. You're adding more people to your, to your network there. True. But then also, and by the way, I listened to the episode, Ross, where you talked about the uh, cocktail hour and how to rock it. Um, <laughs> I also love the cocktail hour. At a yes. Because I, I love meeting people. Like it doesn't, Like, I just, I need to inhale people. I'm extremely extroverted. And at the wedding I went to this past weekend, we became really good friends with another couple there. And we were like, should we like do a date? (laughs) So, (laughs) and then, and he's a physician and she's a dentist and they're going to, they're going to send me some friends. And actually my three-year-old needs to see a dentist for the first time. So I think we know who she's going to go. There you go. (laughs) It was winning on so many levels. It, Jared, mm-hmm. we should put that in the uh, in the audiogram. Uh, Michal inhales people. <laughs> just oh leave, my gosh! Just leave it. I'm kidding. I thought that was funny. I like that. <laughs> I know it's like a weird thing to say. Yeah. But I'm extremely extroverted, and yeah. I the pandemic was hard for so many people in so sure. many ways. But I wish I had one introverted tendency. I have none. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Do you feel like you're better at matching when your client is a guy? Or a girl, or does it not matter? Are you just like, I can do everything? Or I don't know if you ever thought of that. Here's what I'll tell you. The people I like to work with are authentic, genuine people who trust me, who lean on my expertise and are open-minded because that's when I have success, when people are really open-minded. So you can be a guy, you can be a girl, but it's about having those qualities and working with me. It's a dynamic relationship. So as you found out, Michal, there's a lot of single people in this world. And one of them happens to be a host on this podcast. And the hint is it's not me. <laughs> You've already alluded to it. You said you've met Jared before. So what's, I guess, what's your, give us a little bit of advice for our listeners out there that may be single, such as my buddy over here, who are looking for that special someone. Like what's, what's some free advice you can offer? Um, it's really hard to be single. And I know that, but you really can't give up because you don't know if the next person you go on a date with is going to be the one, if it's going to be your last first date. And it takes a lot of work to date. It takes a lot of work to be single. It's not an easy thing, but you just shouldn't give up. Even if it's a pandemic, like you shouldn't give up. You could do virtual dates, like whatever it may be. 
but you have to keep on meeting people. They don't fall from the sky. They don't appear out of your TV screen. Or they just appear at a Hillel ice cream social like for Ross. Hey, it's all about it's it's all about timing, right? You never know when, to Michal's point, you never know when you're going to meet that special someone. Could be, in my case, I'm very fortunate. I met my wife when we were in college. For other people, it's later on. But the point is, you just have to, you find the right one. And, and it's just the timing is what the timing is. What do you suggest? I'm curious. What's your advice on a good first date? I feel like everyone puts a lot of pressure on a good first date in first impression. Like, where do you stand with that? Do you try to go more casual? What's the advice there? My advice is evolving because of the times that we're living in. So I used to recommend that everybody like meet up for a drink and sit at the bar, et cetera, et cetera. And now I'm like talking to people and observing and seeing what other people are doing and what's working. And also we're living in a society where a lot of people are becoming very sober curious and not drinking just to drink. So I think that this time has given us a lot of opportunity to become creative in dating. So you totally could meet somebody for a drink, sit at a bar or sit outside and have a drink. A lot of people are doing first date hikes, which I think is cool. I also think it's really adorable to have ice cream or hot chocolate on a first date. But in general, like I don't always recommend doing coffee just because it feels so business-like. But like not an activity. You're like, it's got to be more of a... I mean, like activity dates are really good for a second date. So like ice skating and bowling and things like that. But for a first date, it should be pretty brief. Like it should be like an hour and a half max. So whether it's virtual or in person. So that's why I'm saying like ice cream, hot chocolate, whatever it may be. Like those are nice and short and sweet. Like dinner is long. And expensive. That's right. It is expensive. And there's a lot of pressure on the men to pay for everything. It's just a big commitment, I think, to do dinner. So something like light and sweet and short is nice, whatever you want it to be. Good advice for sure. I got to ask, right? And it's like, I feel like it's only fitting. How did you find your match in, in life? I know you you had to go outside the US to find him. And I know it's a great love story. And I'd love for you to share that. Yeah, I'm not saying that there aren't great guys in the US, but I was super <laughs> I was just like super into traveling and I went backpacking through South America and Colombia was just like the coolest country ever. And I remember when I went to visit, there were like people selling coconuts in the street and I love coconuts. And I was like, I need to move to this place. (laughs) It's crazy. But anyways, I literally did that. I moved to Colombia. I got a one-way ticket after I did those travels. And a month and a half later, I went to a language exchange and that's where I met my husband and he spoke perfect English. And I was like, oh, but I want to learn Spanish. But this girl that we had in common, we call her our Casa Mentera. We call her our matchmaker. She was just really encouraging me to see what he brought to the table. And I was like, really? And she was like, yes, he's a good guy. So she nudged me in the right direction and I could have overlooked him. And I met him like a month and a half after I arrived there and I stayed for four years. And now he's my souvenir. We moved back to the U.S. together and he's an awesome dad. And I think I wouldn't have seen all of those qualities he had. And and apologies if we didn't hit it already, but how did you get into this? You came out of college. You mentioned you alluded to living outside of the U.S. for a little bit. How did you get into matchmaking? Yeah. And this is obviously connected to my Penn State story as well. But my background is in human sexuality. And when we came back to live in the US together, like I was doing a job search. I was looking online and this magically appeared one night and I was like, huh. And then in my mind, I was already a matchmaker. Like (laughs) I emailed them 500 times until they hired me. And then I just hit the ground running and met as many people as possible, including Jared. There you go. 
So then going back to your, your story, you told us about your husband and then now you're the mother to two adorable girls. And in addition to raising them and your work with three day rule, you also have another business that we'd like to hear about called sex positive mama. I know this is a very passionate area for you. And so we'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So I truly and deeply believe that parents are the most important sex educator to their children and also that sexuality education um, and that we're sexual beings from birth. So with a very young baby doing things like asking them if it's okay to you know, change their diaper and using words about their body and not acting weird when they poop or something like that. I think that these are all important foundations for building body positivity and consent practices. And a lot of us come from homes where it's not discussed at all, which is teaching you something. So I think we have this whole new generation of parents who um, are ready to embrace this. And I started an Instagram account and I'm just sharing my journey of how I teach my kids about sex and sexuality. And the big thing is I have a whole book list of things that you can have in your home to teach your kids about sex. Like you shouldn't really wait until they're like about to go through puberty and you shouldn't rely on the school to do it as well. Don't you feel like that's different though? Like from, sorry, but like when I hear that and I've also lived abroad too, like different cultures seem like they embrace sexuality differently. And I feel like here in the U S it's definitely a little bit more taboo behind closed doors for whatever reason. Yeah. It's weird. There's a lot of reasons for that puritanical beliefs and things like that. There's European countries and I've traveled and I talk to people and, and I go, who's your first sex ed lesson? Cause I'm always curious. And I like talk to people who they were like, Oh, I remember we were eight years old and they started to talk to us about masturbation. And I was like, so your first sex ed lesson was about pleasure. Oh, interesting because we would never do that here we learned about masturbation but it's really important to normalize masturbation and in fact it's really normal to see kids um start to touch themselves at a young age as well and just explore their body it's like really normal we just make pretend it doesn't exist pray that it won't happen again (laughs) it just just doesn't work but i do anyways i don't want to go on to too many tangents here but it's normal and it's healthy and we just don't treat it like that oftentimes and we don't talk about it in school yeah that's true we definitely don't talk about it in school i I remember like everything in school was like stds pregnancy right oh my god not good not good not good yeah so what did you learn from that (laughs) i don't know what i learned other than there's a lot of bad stuff that could happen you didn't hear the good stuff that's for sure yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate when education is done in that. So way. here you go. You're changing people's minds and perspectives, which is great. Yes. Yes. Thank exactly. You. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Penn State, and we're going to put you in the Lions Den, which is a segment brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride, and reminisce about your good old times at Penn State. And just remember, when you want to show off your Penn State pride, visit lions-pride.com for the latest and greatest apparel and merchandise. So, Michal, first, tell us, how did Penn State prepare you for the early part of your career and the professional life that you've built up to this point? Yeah, I owe a lot to Penn State because I took my first sexuality education course. It was the biobehavioral health department, and it was Dr. Patricia Koch. 
And when I took that class, it was like recommended to me by a friend. And it was like one of those like random classes that you had to take to fulfill something. And I was like, what do they have to teach me? And then when I took the class, I was like, why have I never had real sex education before in a formal environment where you just like talk about things as they are, no judgments, but this is what exists in the world. And it covered everything from like gender to alcohol and sex to the difference between I don't know, like gender roles, I mean, everything. And we talked a lot about biology, we talked about masturbation and we talked about STIs and we talked about pregnancy and it's so healthy to learn that in an academic environment with your peers. And it had such a profound effect on me that I went up to Dr. Koch and I said, hi, <laughs> I want to be you one day. She was like, okay, come meet me at my office. And she like handed me a piece of paper and it was like, here's ways that you could pursue like a degree in this. And I was like, whoa, it's like a real thing. It's a career. So yeah, she, she totally inspired me and I love her a lot. Talk to me. Cause I know you graduated with a Jewish studies degree. So was there a plan to go in that direction at some point? It's interesting. The, the amazing thing about Penn State is that you could be whatever you want to be. You could study whatever you want to. And I couldn't figure out what my major would be. I flip-flopped so many times, but I always took Jewish studies courses just because like Jewish history is interesting to me and I fell back on it and I enjoyed it. And that was like my backup plan. And then when I took that sexuality course, it was my junior year. And it was just that like lightning bolt moment that I was like, this is what I want. Um, and it was interesting because I met this kid and I don't even know what happened to him, but he showed me his proposal to make a sexuality degree at Penn State and showed me how he did it. And then I looked up every course that he had in that proposal and I took all of those courses before I graduated. But I wasn't, it wasn't in time for me to submit, hey, I'm creating my own major here. Did you guys know that you could do that, that you could create your own major at Penn I State? Did. Yeah, I did know that. I well, did, yeah. But I think most people don't. And I think what you just said is that's the beauty of Penn State is mm -hmm. the yeah. opportunity to explore and quote unquote taste as many things as you want so that when you leave, you have an understanding of what you like and what you don't like. And sometimes knowing what you don't like is just as valuable as knowing what you like. So mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. I think that's one of the greatest things about university, Penn State University, as well as other big colleges, right? In that you're not put in like a box at the end of the day. And that was amazing for me. That really was because then I was like a TA for Dr. Koch and she, I went to a conference with her and then I took philosophy of sex in the philosophy department. I took biology of sex in the biology department. Like I took every course that had sex in the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was amazing. It was totally cool. Are you Is still it? in touch with her? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. She just retired actually. Nice. You Sorry, should go Ross, back. Go you should you should go back to the university and 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 submit to them all the courses you took and say after the fact I want my degree right your second degree. Uh, I don't know if it's too late. It's just a thought. <laughs> yeah, but then you end up getting your your master's right in uh, human sexuality. There you go. All right, so it worked out. It all worked out. So I, I got to ask, and this is probably always the toughest question for everyone, favorite Penn State memory. My favorite Penn State It memory. wasn't the um, – most people oh, say football games. But you didn't go no, to the football games. No, I have games. a memory 
Okay, so for one of, I do have this memory that for Dr. Koch's class, I did this project and we had to pick some sort of like safer sex something and make a video about it. And I literally went to a tailgating, like just some sort of tailgate. And I went to every single person and I asked them, what is a dental dam? And if you guys don't know what they are, it's what people use for safer oral sex and it's like made of latex or polyurethane. And it was just so funny to talk to everybody at tailgate about dental dam. I mean, everybody laughed and they invented the answer and people didn't know what it was. And I would take it out and show them and they were like, oh my God. <laughs> so it was pretty fantastic. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an apparatus for your dentures, Jared. I don't know. I, That's what I will, said. I'm sure. <laughs> I will say that is the first time we've received that answer for that question and probably would be the last time <laughs> we receive it. So points for being very unique there. <laughs> I have the video. I can <laughs> Love it. So if you could go back and visit with yourself as an 18-year-old freshman about to start at Penn State, what advice would you share? It's what we just talked about. Take as many sexuality courses as you can and invent your own major. <laughs> Make your own degree. I had no idea I like it. that you could do that. I agree. If There's probably a lot of students that listen to this podcast and they do not know that they can invent their own degree. This is definitely going to be very useful for them. So for the students out there, if you're thinking about it and you want to go outside of the box – Speak with your, what's it called? Advisor. Yeah. Speak with your advisor and figure out how to create that major. There you go. It can be done. All of a sudden, people on Monday after this podcast launches, the advisors are going to get an influx of people being like, hey, I want to create my own major. Mm -hmm. And definitely go. take a sexuality course when you're in college. I did not take a, a sexuality course in college, Ross. I took a BBH <laughs> course as – it wasn't the sex class, but it was – I what can't was recall the name of it. But it was with Dr. Finkelstein. Doc, remember him? No. Do you remember the professor but not the course? I remember the professor because he was like this elderly man who was probably on the verge of retirement, and he was wonderful. He was so nice. He was so funny, and he was so engaging. And it was just like a general, I think, health course. And I, I, it was great, but that was my only – foray into the bbh world now we know next time another piece of advice for students take a human i have another course. favorite memory I have oh please favorite. the other thing that i did at penn state which was really cool was i created with a bbh doctoral candidate at the time spring cooper we did a safer sex program for fraternities we designed a curriculum they would go to sororities and have these like safer sex parties and we talk about hiv and we talk about condoms and how to use them and blah blah, blah. And we were like, let's do one for men. And they were like, we don't have a program for them. And we were like, okay, we'll invent it. And then her and I went around to a bunch of fraternities and taught them how to put a condom on correctly. It was pretty awesome. All right. I wonder if that course is still around. I so. haven't looked into that. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious, right. when you spoke with the fraternities, did they like take it seriously or did they think the whole thing was like a joke or were they like a good audience? They were an awesome audience. They were very participatory. And sometimes when you do sex ed, you could hear a pin drop. Like that's like people can joke around and stuff, but they're listening because it's pertinent to their lives. Absolutely. So. That's true. Yeah. Along the advice lines, when you hear someone is considering Penn State, what do you tell them? Why should they go there? Other than there's some great human sexuality courses. 
Oh my gosh, one thing is the Arboretum there is actually amazing. <laughs> have you guys been to it? That's one reason to go. I have not been there um, to it, but I've heard it's nice. Penn State is affordable and it's amazing to get your degree in a way that's affordable and build your career path, I think. But if you're in state at least. I don't know, Ross, or Ross and Jared, were you guys out of state? I was, I was in state. state. I was in state, yeah. Okay, in state is easier, yeah, because yeah. it's really expensive to study in this so day and age. So I think it's so nice true. to be at a state college where you can study so many different things and you can do it in an affordable way. Invest in those 529 plans for the kids. And then also, Michal, how do you feel most connected to the university today? You alluded to that you still keep in touch with one with your professor. Any other ways that you're, you remain connected to the... Um, I, I've been like RV camping there. Yeah. And that was pretty cool. And then I went to visit with my children and we went to the Arboretum, which is nice. Oh, and I went to DP Doe. Oh, so, I love yeah. DP Doe. What's your favorite DP Doe? The, the Buffalo. It's a buffalo one. It's like buffalo chicken. What's that one called? I don't know. But DP Joe is still just as good as it used to uh, be. So good. <laughs> I like the one with the chicken and the ranch and the mozzarella. Yes. Yes. But was it like a buffalo chicken? No, it was like the regular chicken. No. I think it was called like the Happy Valley or Nittany, Nittany Valley. I don't know. I don't know. But it was We're gonna whatever have to, it was. That's it was good. I went. We're gonna have to fact check. Went, fact I got check four. This. You got four? I think we got four, and we were like, "Why did we order so much?" And we ate all of them. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, so good. Yep. We need to bring on like an alumni who has worked at DP Doe, <laughs> and just have yeah. a conversation about DP Doe and calzones. Buffer zone. Buffer zone. Buffer. There was a buffer zone. Tough. Yes. Or there is a buffer zone. <laughs> <laughs> me and my roommate always got the episode. I love it. Jared, so put the, put it on the put it on the I list have... for our friends in the podcasting class that are helping us out this semester. They can go find somebody affiliated with DP Doe for the show. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh my God. Mikhail, this has been, first of all, so much fun. Once again, great to connect with you. And I know immediately when I met you, like you were an amazing matchmaker because you've got a great personality. You've got a great heart. You've got like great intuition and it's just amazing to see you like continue to thrive and come up with great matches and put people together. And you could just see your happiness is tied to other people's happiness. And I think that's just a, a really special quality and characteristic that you have. So we appreciate you. Keep going, keep going. But um, we know you'll be, you'll, you'll continue to be successful. And we always end with, we are. Lion Legacy is a Baruta production. If you enjoyed this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.